life. It's more full of surprises than anything you could make up. Scary stories, funny stories, sad stories, we've got them all and they're all true. Everyone has at least one great story. What's yours? All right, who ordered takeaway? Got your true story coming right up. I'd like a funny story with a dash of bellyache, please. Um, could I get something with aliens, guns, and travel, please? A one thriller with an overlay of a relationship going wrong. One takeaway order of suspense, please. You're gonna love all the stuff here. It's all really awesome. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of bite-sized stories for curious minds on the go. Hi, and welcome to today's show. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of true stories presented by Tall Tales, India's longest-running live storytelling event series. I'm Michael Burns. So what do UFOs, abandoned cornfields, and Ralph Nader have in common? Not much, actually. So I, I'm really not sure what I was thinking when I put together today's story, which is one of my own. Maybe what I was trying to serve up here is a reflection of what things look like from the outside. You know, outside of the mainstream, from an observer's perspective. This story, Little Green Men, is my attempt to find the limits of what I believe in, political or otherwise. There are some things I know and some things I don't know. One thing I know is that I'm not a fan of my president, President Obama. I don't know him personally, obviously, but from what I've seen of him, he seems like a pretty cool guy, actually, to sit down and have a beer with as does George W. Bush, for that matter. Don't get me wrong, I am absolutely not a supporter of the Republican Party either. My God, the counterpart to Obama's Democratic Party. I'm probably against 99 and somewhere between 99 and 100% of everything that the Republicans stand for. Whereas with Obama, it's more like 70% that I disagree with. So I don't think that quite qualifies me as a fan. I'm a member of the Green Party. It was founded in 1984, and it's grown to actually the fourth largest party in the U.S. The party platform stands for economic equality, social justice, workers' rights, responsible military action, immediate addressing of the damage that we're doing to the environment, and far more accountability for corporations. Uh, there are green parties actually in dozens of countries, so it's not just a U.S. thing. It's part of a movement. And is a movement that suggests that many of the problems in our world can be traced to the concentration of power in too few hands. I really do believe in democracy. I believe in the power, intelligence, and collective wisdom of everyday people to make the decisions most important in their lives. And to me, the Green Party is the party that best matches those values. The great thing about the Greens is that we accept all comers, meaning that the, the Greens aren't an exclusive club where only the elite are encouraged to participate. Everyone's welcome. The bad thing about the Greens is that we accept all comers. In other words, when you have a totally open-door policy, you, you get all kinds of people. Yes, you get the people that are passionate, who want democratic change, and who want to make a difference. But you also get the eccentrics, you know, focused only on their one issue or people that might look a little off or act a little strange or smoke a little something here or there. But hey, you know, whoever said democracy was easy. It's a messy process and learning to find common ground, uh, even within a party, I think is, is part of the fun, part of the challenge. 
So before I came to India uh, several years ago, I started the local chapter of the Green Party in the cluster of towns where I lived uh, in Connecticut. So this is the northeast corner of the U.S. in one of the small states up there. After a few months of getting the word out, uh, there were about 10 or 15 of us that would come regularly to our meetings, which is pretty good uh, for any political steering committee. We'd exchange ideas, talk about important events and news items, and most importantly, discuss upcoming elections and who from our group might be interested in running for office. Um, this was a really exciting time for the Greens. Um, 2010, 2011, many party members had won seats across the country and even in the state as well. Of course, the Greens were tiny, very tiny compared to the two largest parties, but you have to start somewhere. We all met about once uh, per week. One of our regular members uh, was Betty. Betty and her family owned a popular campground just a few towns away from where the party met. Uh, she was an older lady, short, with silver hair in her 70s, but very sharp. Her husband was actually an award-winning poet, and though he didn't come to the meetings, she always told us that he supported our work and that the campground was always open to us if we ever needed to hold a larger event. No offense uh, at all to anyone else in our organization. They were all lovely and thoughtful, intelligent people. But what I liked most about Betty was that she was normal. <laughs> What I mean is that she wasn't a fanatic, she wasn't eccentric, she was very easy to talk to, rational, she was a business owner, so she even brought the small business uh, rationality perspective to our group. There was a lot on the agenda uh, at our meetings. One of our members was running for mayor uh, back then, and others were organizing petitions and demonstrations, and so we often had hours and hours of items to talk through uh, each week. So one particular meeting ran late one night, and uh, as I always did since I was the organizer, I would ask if everyone was okay to get home and if anyone needed a ride. Uh, every once in a while, somebody did. And that night, Betty asked if anyone was going in her direction and if they could drop her off at home. I was actually going that way, and so I told her I would be happy to bring her. It was dark on the highway. The campground where she lived was secluded, and uh, you got there by taking the highway for about 25 minutes or so and then exiting and taking the small back roads the rest of the way. People went there to get uh, into the forest and away from any noise and traffic, so it was kind of in the middle of nowhere. Although Betty had been coming to our meetings for the last year, this was our first real chance that she and I had to talk, so it was really nice to finally get to have a proper conversation. Maybe it's just my personality, too. I don't know. But I, I get along especially well with older people. I just love their wisdom and their perspective on things. And maybe because in politics, they can appreciate political change a little bit more simply because of how much life they've seen. She and I talked about all kinds of things uh, on that ride. It was September, and that summer had been an eventful one for me. I had done an internship in another part of the country, uh, in the middle of the country, and it had made a huge impression on me for many reasons. But something very unusual happened uh, during that internship, something that involved cars and the highway, something unexplainable even to this day that I fully can't wrap my mind around. Anyway, it, it, it came to mind because this thing that happened to me also happened on a dark night uh, on a dark road. 
And, and so I told Betty this story about what happened to me, and she listened carefully and thoughtfully as she always did. I told her that maybe above all, this strange thing that happened to me opened my mind to the possibility that maybe more was out there than we first thought. We can call it paranormal, ESP, or whatever you want to call it, but this experience that happened to me defied explanation. And so the lesson I learned was to never dismiss any phenomenon out of hand, even if it seems strange and unlikely. I don't know, maybe it takes something bizarre happening to you before you decide to take that approach to life. As we drove on, I could see stars lighting up the sky. And I told her there was one exception to this new open stance of mine, which was belief in aliens. So the U.S. has a unique relationship to belief in aliens. While most of the world's countries are in the single digits of percentage of the population that believes, uh, 9% in Holland, 8% in Sweden, the U.S. is about 30%. Uh, with most of those believing that aliens are not only out there, but have visited Earth at one point in our history. Despite the belief of my fellow Americans, I told Betty that I felt really bad for people who believed in these bug-eyed non-human visitors because it was obviously some kind of medical anxiety reconstituted as a nightmare about probing and abduction and so forth. The trauma of being born or fears of having surgery have just been reformatted into these false memories. These anxieties had been repackaged with the face of an ET put on them. I mean, if these things really existed, why wouldn't there be a range of experiences with aliens, some understandably scary, but some very positive and inspiring? But no, instead, alien encounters were always without fail negative. It just didn't make any sense. Betty listened and nodded along, uh, but at the end, she cocked her head to the side and said, It's strange, though, that you have an open mind to everything else, but not this. I guess it goes against your own logic to be so close to this. Actually, she said, you should be open to this, too, because they're real. Uh, what do you mean, I said. And for the next 10 minutes, Betty described to me in intricate detail what happened, uh, but with the intensity as if she was just reading it off a to-do list. On December 17, 1981, she was making breakfast for her two daughters at home in the suburbs just outside of Chicago, Illinois, and was standing in front of her stove. She turned around in her kitchen, and there were two figures uh, standing there, two short gray beings with large eyes and thin limbs. Her heart almost stopped. She stood there frozen with a combination of terror and confusion as she looked at them and they looked at her. All she thought about was the safety of her daughters. And she ran upstairs as fast as she could, woke them up from a sound sleep, and forced them to get dressed immediately and told them they were late for school. It was actually a Saturday, which is not a school day in the U.S., and the kids went outside in a panic and then kind of came back in completely confused after their mom had calmed down. A few years went by before anything happened again. She was alone in the house, and she glanced up in the living room, and this time there was just one of them standing there. Same expressionless face as before. Just standing there looking at her. Betty said to me, They were as real as me and you sitting right here in the car. I said, as gently as I could, But 
Isn't it possible that you had seen one too many sci-fi movies or comic books and this was a vivid dream that has somehow got filed incorrectly and now you think of it as a memory? She said, I never watched sci-fi movies in my whole life. I didn't even have any idea what these things were other than that they were really strange, seemed intelligent, and made me feel incredibly nervous. I had no reference point, no idea what to call them even, until years later when I thought I was going crazy, so I did some research and found out there were other people who had had similar experiences. Maybe the strangest encounter I've had with them, she said, was when one of them took me on their craft and showed me around it. It was horrifying and nauseating and confusing and the most surreal experience I've ever had. And I was just driving and listening. She said she had no idea how to process this and was way too embarrassed to share it with anyone until something happened five years later uh, in 1986. Her oldest daughter, who was a teenager at that point, came to her one day, awkwardly, and told her that she had something important to tell her. Her daughter didn't know quite how to say this, so she just came out and said it. She told her mom that for several years she had been seeing something, some things, and she thought they were creatures from another planet. At this moment, Betty realized that she wasn't crazy, and the both of them told their secrets to the rest of their family. Nobody could believe it, of course, but over time, the family accepted it, and although they didn't talk about it very much, they all lived with this ever since. Back in the car, Betty looked out the passenger side window. She told me the whole story very matter-of-factly. It wasn't rehearsed. Like, it was like no big deal. Like, it was just a normal part of who she was. No drama, no special emphasis, no desperate tone to try to convince me. Just dry and plain. I kept driving, and we rode in silence for a little while as I exited the highway and found the road towards the campground. I said, but if aliens are around, how come not everyone can see them? There should be photos and video and all kinds of evidence, right? I don't know, she said. I have so many questions, too, way more than you have, probably. Maybe it's like a dog whistle or ultraviolet light. These things exist even though we can't hear them or see them. Maybe seeing them is like that for some reason. Maybe you have to be attuned to it or something. In the end, she had no idea why she could see and interact with them, and most people couldn't. All of what she said was processing over and over in my mind as I pretended that I didn't care much. One thing was completely true. She believed this with absolute certainty. This woman was not making this up as far as her own personal perspective. She told it all to me as if she didn't care. She wasn't trying to convince me. She was just telling me what she had experienced. Either she was the world's greatest actor running a campground for some reason, or she was telling me what she saw as the truth. Now, that leaves two possibilities, neither of which are very pleasant. One is that my friend is crazy. She seems normal, but can't tell the difference between hallucinations and reality. And also somehow her daughter shares these exact same delusions. Or the other possibility, which I'm not comfortable thinking about. 
the paved road turned to dirt and we had a short, bumpy ride to the entrance of the campground. I pulled up to the house and she gave me a big smile and one of those awkward half-car hugs that you do and thanked me for the ride. I told her that I'd see her next week for the next meeting and made a U-turn to head home. I pretended that this wasn't distressful for me, but it was. My heart was racing and the tension was building in my body. What she said and how she said it was making me nervous. What was this all about? Why did she tell me this? What am I supposed to think? Is it in any way possible that what she's saying is true? Sure, nearly everything is possible. But is it probable? No, it's not. But I kept thinking, what if beings from other planets are out there and the problems that we have now are things that they've solved a long time ago? Problems of war, inequality, disease, and of course how to travel to other solar systems. Above all, what if they've evolved a new way to communicate that goes beyond words, beyond language, and exists only through thoughts? And then it hit me. What if they can read our thoughts? What if all they need to be able to communicate with you is to be able to tell that you might believe in them? Sweat started to build up on my forehead. My vision started to narrow as the car bounced on the pitch black dirt road lined with empty corn stalks on each side. What if they know right now that I think they might exist? And what if they're going to show themselves now to me because of that? All I kept thinking was, I don't want to see them, I don't want to see them, I don't want to see them, I can't see them. I started repeating this to myself out loud. I don't want to see them, I can't handle seeing them, I don't want to believe. And then, I, I'm not ashamed to say this, I started crying. I'm convinced now, at this point, that I've been initiated into this group of believers and that I was one of the few people who could see them. I'm crying and shaking, and with the headlights just lighting 20 feet in front of the car, I'm desperate to get out of the middle of nowhere and home as soon as possible, or at least anywhere where there was another person who could offer instant protection from them. I kept driving. I knew I was going to see something step from the side of the road and wave the car to a stop. I could swear that I could see that expressionless face taking shape directly in front of the car. Time slowed down, and I sat on the edge of my seat, tears rolling down my face with a primal scream sitting in my throat, waiting to come out. It was the most terrifying night of my life. Somehow, I made it home. Nothing visited me. Nothing stepped out from the darkness, at least nothing I remember. I tried to forget about that night, actually. And I've done a pretty good job of putting it into a part of my mind where it doesn't get stirred up very often. It was only in preparing this story, actually, that I went back for the first time and thought about exactly what happened. So all these years later, the obvious question is, do I believe or not? Do I believe in flying saucers and little green men? To be completely honest, I don't know what I believe. I do find it interesting that every few months I seem to read in the newspaper about astronomers finding yet another set of planets just far enough away from their stars, but not too far, 
for water to form and advanced life to possibly evolve. But does that mean we're going to have visitors someday or that in some form they're already here? I'd love to be able to say no for sure, but I don't know. I do know for a fact that when I'm all alone in the middle of the night or in the early morning hours that I get up most days, I don't like the feeling of being the only person in the neighborhood who's awake. I don't like it when there are no witnesses of any kind around. If I realize I'm completely alone, I'll find a window and look out and tell myself that I don't believe in them. But then a few seconds later, I'll say a little prayer to them and tell them that I do believe, but in exchange for my belief to please leave me alone. I'm very curious about what's out there, beyond the limits of what we currently understand. But I'm also terrified of it. Somewhere deep inside, I want to know who we are, where we come from, and most importantly, why we're here, what this whole crazy thing called life is all about. But as the saying goes, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Stick around after the story for a Q&A with me and Matt Daniels. We hope you like Tall Tales Takeaway, India's first storytelling podcast. Chances are you'll want to check out the LSD cast, India's first podcast about love, sex and dating. We think you'll like it. It's a very candid chat show hosted by Prem and Rogue. Look for a love sex dating cast on your favorite podcast app. Uh Okay, um Well, thanks for coming, Michael. <laughs> uh We've just commenced political season. It's here Campaign again. Season has just begun. How, do you, <laughs> how are you excited? Well, in the week that we are recording this, uh, Hillary Clinton just announced her candidacy, uh, along with a whole slew of right-wing uh, 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 opponents. And so I'm sure I'm sure you can't wait to get to decide between th- them. McDonald's and Burger King. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I'm not the most eager around election season. I, as a Green Party person, we're very used to our views being excluded, and then there being a token story in the Wall Street Journal about how is America ready for a third-party candidate. We were certainly ready when Ross Perot came around, but everyone seemed to have forgotten about that. I think the way it, I mean, not not to make this a big political discussion, but it seems to be that it's it's going to have to be somebody with a lot of money who is going to be able to kind of break the system in order just to get people out of the mental box of choosing either the democrat or the republican and in in my con- in my opinion in a country as big as 300 million people we should have some other choices do do you keep in touch with those uh those green party members do you hear from from betty at all you know i don't i you know, i have this thing sometimes about keeping in touch with people that it hurts a little too much sometimes to reach out because you you put your heart and soul into something and then you, when you reach out to someone who is involved in that other aspect of your life you feel the emptiness from it more so i find myself kind of cut off uh, politically because maybe i'm afraid of what fire it will stoke maybe it'll make me want to go back and do something and from 10,000 miles away i can safely mute that button 
I know these days there's any number of ways to network politically. It's something that you've, it's an aspect of your, your life that you've, uh, you've, it's, it's taken a backseat to other creative pursuits. Is that how you'd say it? Well, sometimes, you know, I, I did my first doc, you know, I've directed five documentary films. My first one was on um, all of the, not all, but, you know, maybe the seven or eight major political parties besides the Democrats and the Republicans. So every once in a while, somebody will dig up the movie and ask me to write a little piece or do a little interview. So that keeps it going. And my most recent film was about post-traumatic stress disorder, which seemed like a medical issue, but it has serious political ramifications because if, if... Uh, presidents are sending soldiers off to fight in dubious wars, they're going to be coming back with ailments. So these, this issue, as, as medical as it may seem, it's highly politicized. So I think there's still some of that going around in my blood that maybe expresses itself more in the film realm. What's, what's the attraction to sci-fi for you? Well, for me, I mean, I, I, I love many authors, but maybe, maybe Arthur C. Clarke is my favorite. But I think what I, the attraction to sci-fi for me... Um, you know, not to be too moralistic or about it or anything like that, but I feel like the trajectory at which our planet is going, it, it's our destruction is it seems to be right around the corner. We seem to be a species that's perfectly comfortable with putting our planet and our own species in imminent jeopardy, which is very odd. Which is a very odd thing to do. We might be the only creature on Earth that could even conceive of such an idea, but we're on, in my opinion, we're on that trajectory. We need incredibly creative ideas about who we are, our purpose, uh, guesses, hypotheses about our purpose in the world. And what I love about sci-fi is it's willing to ask any question. I mean, other forms of literature are wonderful, but with sci-fi, because there are no limits, every question is worth entertaining. And if you have no taboos with your question asking, then you start to get very creative with your answers. And in my opinion, humane, creative answers are what we need. And sci-fi is, to me, one of the most direct routes to that. Interesting. Do you, do you think you think that's the fact that it's, uh, it's, it's told as a story that makes that kind of uh, blue sky thinking more palatable or more uh, more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Because as we know with stories, like a, a well-timed story is not only something that can stick with you for, for weeks or months, but it's something that can change the trajectory of your entire life. And that's what's special about stories. Thanks for coming, Michael. Hey, thanks, man. And that's the end of today's show. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single episode. And if you do like what you heard, take a minute to rate us and share feedback and reactions on iTunes or whatever app that you listened on. We're on Facebook and Twitter, of course, too, if you'd like to get in touch. Thanks. See you next time. Hey, do you have any romance or kitten stories? Hi, I'd like to medium adventure stories uh, and hold the cheese. Get me some nonfiction. Anything. Just, just get me some nonfiction. Wow, that tall tale looks so funny. I want two, please. I'll take comedy. Yeah, something funny. Romance for Prem, fame and fortune for Kirti, and a coming of age for Sunanda. Your takeaway orders are ready at counter number two. That was so fulfilling. Produced by Sonolog.